Uh, I want to talk to you about the Act 3. We talked about Act 1 and 2 last week, the death and the burial of Jesus. And it pretty, seemed pretty definitive when they rolled that stone over the tomb and everybody walked away. And you got to understand, that must have been the darkest time imaginable for Jesus' disciples because, as I'm going to point out, there are six unexpected things that happened on Sunday morning. They didn't expect that Jesus was going to come back out of that grave. They thought that when he died, it was over. Now, aren't you glad that God's plan doesn't need your faith? Okay? You need your faith, but God's going to work out his plan. You better get with the plan. Does that make sense? All right. So, uh, let's look in. We're going through, we're going through uh, Act 3, death, burial, and what's the third part of the gospel? Resurrection. Acts chapter 24 now. Acts chapter 24. We're going to go through this chapter. <clears throat> I said Acts. Luke 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Luke 24 and verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. So I want you to start off, I want you to immediately notice it's the first day of the week. Nobody was supposed to do anything, go anywhere, really, on the Sabbath. It was a family day. They stayed around. They actually ate leftovers. You weren't allowed even to cook your meal. It was all basically what we call, where I grew up, cold cuts. Just simple foods, but family time, just time to rest, focus on God. That was the Sabbath. But now it's Sunday morning, very early in the morning. As a matter of fact, it's before dawn. So they're, they're making their way without street lights. They're making their way... Uh, probably without any torches, they're just making their way down to the sepulcher, to the tomb. And I want you to notice one other thing it says there, and not one word of your Bible is in there by accident or for fluff. Notice these words. Uh, now, upon the first day of the week, barely in the morning, uh, uh, this, is, um, this is actually after the Sabbath. And Matthew says it's after the Sabbath. Mark says after the Sabbath. And I won't have you go over there very quickly, um, but it's very important to understand that when, when this takes place, it is marking something new. All right, now go to Romans. Hold your place here. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. Something happened on that cross that, is revealed on Sunday and not on the Sabbath. Notice Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. For Christ, that's Jesus, is the end of the law for all our righteousness that we need now. To everyone that, isn't it wonderful? Just believe it. So what did Jesus do? He finished the law. Not that it's, it's not necessary, but he accomplished the law and the Sabbath is done we're living in a whole different um, uh, kingdom now. It's called the kingdom of God. And my relationship with God is not based on what I do or I don't do. It's based on what Jesus did. It's after the Sabbath. So if you worry about, oh, should I go to church on the Saturday or on Sunday? Sunday, dude. Sunday's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday's the day that you find them. Now, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> the disciples loved going to church every day. But Sunday was special because it's the day that we're going to learn about this morning. Now, what we have is <clears throat> a bunch of Galilean women come to the tomb. They have watched Jesus die. 
they watched Jesus being wrapped and buried by Nicodemus and Joseph. Now, this is kind of cute because it says that they hastily, now, if you know any, how, any guy, how a guy usually works, when a guy's wrapping something, especially a gift, how do they wrap it? <laughs> Tape all over the place. So they're watching this. It says that the women, go back in chapter um, 23, <clears throat> and uh, verse 53, just, just up a few verses, and he, he uh, Joseph Arimathea, he took it down and he wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in the stone, where never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation and then after that, the Sabbath drew on, and the women also, which came with Jesus from Galilee, followed after, and they beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. So they're, they're proper. They're just like normal women. They're watching how Nicodemus and jo- Joseph are rapping, and they're going, oh, we got to come back and do that right. Because in chapter 4, it says, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing spices with them that they had prepared and certain other women were with them and they were going to come and sort of patch it up do make up for whatever you know job joseph and and nicodemus had done they had been in a rush so you can't quite find find fault with them but these ladies are coming and says we need to do it right we want to honor the death of jesus that's a good thought okay i want you to understand um but they discovered six unexpected things, not just them, but all the disciples, unexpected things that day, things that maybe you didn't already know about. And if you did, you ought to just get excited about these things. This is why I'm a Christian. Because God doesn't do what we expect, amen? I mean, when you bury someone, you don't expect somebody to go, I'm in here. <laughs> when you're putting dirt on the grave, amen, you don't expect that. So let's keep going. Verse 2. The first thing we notice that they noticed was that the, there was an empty tomb. Look in verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. So the first thing that happened was the stone, if I can find it here, had been rolled back. Uh, not to let Jesus out. Okay, Many a person has wished for the, the, uh, being in prison for the, the bars to swing open so they can get out. That stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. It was, to, it was rolled away to show you he's already gone. It was to show you what was already done. Look in Mark 16. You're in Luke. Go back one book to Mark chapter 16. Very last chapter in Mark. Chapter 16 in verse 3. Uh, I got to make sure you understand, when they came to that tomb, they did not expect that stone to be rolled back. Look in Mark chapter 16 and verse 3. And they said among themselves, now these are the women, very, look at verse 2, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they, ah, look, look in verse 1, I'll show you the ladies' names. When the Sabbath was passed, thank God is passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, oops, we forgot. Who's going to roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? So they knew, going over, that there's going to be a stone there covering that hole, and yet a 2,000 pound, it's a one-ton stone, had been rolled away. And I want you to understand, this is not a normal wheel. 
This is a, roll, a, a circular stone on an incline. So if you can imagine, it was kept up here with a, with a brace, and then the Roman soldiers released it, and that stone went down and covered the tomb. It would take 10 or 20 guys pushing to roll that stone back up and lock it in place, and yet here it was. To them, they were shocked that the tomb would even be open, much less miraculously open. It was open for all to see inside. Look in verse 3. And they entered in. Now that's freaky. All right. Normally women are afraid of doing stuff like that. Guys are usually afraid of going into a dark tomb, a grave site. But they entered in. Uh, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. In other words, no body is inside. We have a missing body. Imagine calling the Garda. There's a missing body. <laughs> and they're frantically searching for the body of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, we, don't, we can't go there, but Mary is frantically searching, and she meets somebody she thinks is the gardener. Now it's Jesus. And she says, if, if you've taken away the body of my Lord, tell me where he is, and I'll get him. She thinks something's happened to this body. As a matter of fact, she was afraid, like all of, the, uh, all of the women, they had thought that maybe somebody for a mockery had robbed the body. I mean, only depraved people would take a body. You understand? They're freaked out. Who would come in to, except maybe to parade that body, parade that body through the streets of Jerusalem? Who else would do this except to mock Jesus more? How much... More can you do against Jesus? They couldn't imagine what somebody would want with the body of Jesus. And look there in chapter 24, verse 4, and came to pass as they were much perplexed. Thereabout, uh, there behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. We know them as angels. And as they, the ladies, were afraid, and they bowed down their faces to the earth, they, the angels, said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you looking for him in a, in a grave? Wonderful words, aren't they? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day be risen, rise, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. At that point, I want you to understand, they're looking around, and if women can find things, they will. Guys, we don't know how to look. But they're looking for a body, all right? And they couldn't find him. And two angels appear, and their words are, he's not in here. Uh, he's alive again. He is back from the dead. You should, this should be no surprise to you. Take your Bible. Go back to Luke chapter 9, in verse 18. Luke 9. In verse 18, Luke 9, 18, it came to pass as he was alone praying, this is Jesus, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, whom say the people that I am? What does social media say? What is Instagram trending with right now? What is Twitter, Twitter saying? Who do people say that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others say one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God, the Messiah. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, 
the Son of Man must, watch these, suffer many things. Now, what were they expecting? He was going to reign. He was going to be king. But the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, be slain, that's another word for murdered, killed, and be raised the third day. Did Jesus tell them this was going to happen? And yet they didn't expect it. Do you know what I find with Christianity? I try to preach my heart out. I show you all they that live, uh, they, that, uh, they that live godly shall suffer what? Shall suffer persecution. And yet when trouble comes into your life, you know what everybody says? I can't take it. I didn't know it was going to be this bad. You've been warned. You've been encouraged. I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. Not written for you to be a success from day to day. It's written for you to breathe and to survive and to get through by the grace of God. And so when we read our Bible, not only notice the good things, but notice the tough things that warn us that it's going to be rough. It's going to be hard being a Christian. You didn't, hopefully you didn't get saved for all the good days because there are plenty of bad days. So these people, these, these women shouldn't have been shocked. Let me read you. Now what's cute is they remember Jesus saying that. They came to the quiet garden in the early morning gloom. And there in the shadowed darkness, they found an empty tomb. They brought their scented spices to anoint his hallowed head, but found to their amazement the living Lord instead. Their hearts were heavy laden, bowed down with deep despair, but when they lifted tear-dimmed eyes, lo, Jesus was standing there. They thought all hope had ended with Jesus' dying breath, but they found a powerful Savior triumphant over death. On that wonderful resurrection morning in a garden sweet with dew, he came up from a grave, a world to save, to live and reign anew. So oft in the midst of sorrows, when hope seems cold and dead, with lifted eyes we too may see that empty tomb instead. So when you're going through the hard times and the dark times, remember that empty tomb, because it changed the world back then, it can change it now. And so what's cute is, at that moment... They ran back to the upper room where the disciples were. Go back to uh, Luke chapter 24. Verse 8 says, They remembered his words, and they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Now, what do you think they're going to do? Peter, I'm sure, is going to go, Woohoo! He's alive, right? John's going to say, I knew it. I believed it all along. No. What, do you, what happens now is no one believed them. Which shocking. Look at verse 9. They returned from the sepulcher, told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales. Are you just spinning yarn? And they believed them not. Here were eyewitnesses. I don't know why this is not working. Uh, here were eyewitnesses of an empty tomb and a missing body. They saw the tomb empty. They saw the stone rolled away with their own eyes. They searched for that missing body. And they heard the word of angels. These five women believed because of the evidences that they could see, feel, handle, touch, and hear. But none of the apostles, none of the disciples 
were expecting this, even though they should have been. Um, the testimony of these five women, however, did provoke, did motivate Peter and John. Look in verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and then he departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. I mean, he's, he's still wondering, I wonder what happened. <laughs> I mean, you and I can look back on this and go, why doesn't he get it? But in the moment, he's struggling. What is going on? So can you imagine how, how Peter and John, they both get in there, and they're looking in that, that tomb, and it's, it's shocking, but they still don't believe. <laughs> I still don't believe. I got to encourage you out of this. I say, you know, your testimony still can get and motivate other people to at least search the scriptures to actually see if maybe God is, is really true. Those ladies, I mean, without those women saying what they saw, telling what they know, being a witness, being a testimony, without them speaking up with passion to faith, Peter, James, John, all of those stubborn, hard-hearted, backslidden disciples would have just sat there in the upper room and sulked, missing the whole blessing of the resurrection. Amen? Your testimony, being here this morning, encourages someone else. And your belief in this Bible, when you cling to this Bible and you believe its scriptures, you start to remember what it says. Other Christians may look at you and go, ah, well, I better go check it and see if it's still true. And you could motivate and be such an encouragement to other people, especially to the lost. So what is funny is they at least wondered, but they weren't convinced. Now, I, I watched, and I've seen several discussions, but I watched recently an atheist debating a well-known Christian apologist. And the, the, the Christian said to this well-known atheist guy who was really mocking Christianity, he asked him, he said, would you believe the Bible if it could be proven true to you? And you know what he said? No. And the Christian went, what? And he says, you can't prove it to me. And I, I, I'm just stunned. I'm going, isn't that our modern world? It doesn't matter about facts. Peter doesn't care about the evidences. Even he's not believing. And that I want you to remember, because we're going to go somewhere this in a minute. Now, thankfully, fact, facts do matter to some of us, amen. It was because of the facts of Scripture, because I read books about the Bible and listened to preaching from a passionate preacher who believed the Bible and he showed scripture after scripture and showed the connection and a soul winner gave me the truth from the Bible that I had to walk away and go, is that true? And I, we didn't have the internet back then, we had books. <laughs> so I bought books about Jesus and about the Bible and I started to read and I learned that just like Lee Strobel and a lot of different people, the facts were on the side of the Bible and I decided to believe that Jesus died for me. Facts do matter to some of us, just not most. I hope they matter to you. But Peter wasn't convinced. Look in verse 36. Jump down to verse 36. See, the resurrection, we're in chapter 34, 24 still. The resurrection is a fact. Look in verse 36. As they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And remember that. Somebody just shows up. Verse 37, but they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen only a vision, a spirit. And he said unto them, 
Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and, and bones as you see me have. Put me to the test. Validate me. Prove me. Verse 40. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed, what? They still didn't believe for joy. I mean, what were they missing? Joy. I mean, whoa, there was just one split second of a choice that would bring such joy. And they were holding back. They, they yet believed not for joy. And they wondered. He said to them, hmm, have ye here any meat? You got any food? So he gave him a piece of boil, broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them, and that was the clincher. Look in verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law and the Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Look at the facts of the resurrection, Okay. I believe in the resurrection of Christ just like I believe two plus two is four. Because I've taken two apples and I put two more apples there oh, and I got four. I've seen the evidence of the math. I believe in gravity because I can test it and I know uh, nobody can explain it, but I know it works. And I believe in E equals MC squared. It constantly is proven over and over and over. I can't prove it all, but just like I believe all that stuff, I believe in the facts of the resurrection. Watch how the facts of the resurrection roll in. Number one, Jesus physically, where are you going, appeared to his disciples. He didn't speak from a corner. He appeared. He stood in the midst of them. And everyone freaked out. They were terrified. They thought they saw a ghost. They didn't think they saw the real living Jesus. They knew he was dead. And then what is great is, the proof is Jesus actually invited a test. He said, test me, examine me, put your, put your finger in the, in the holes, put your hand in my side, check my feet, look at my scalp. This is me. They still didn't believe. <laughs> so Jesus ate some, what's kind of cute, he ate some fish and some honeycomb. Now, I'm not sure I understand how that convinces them but they hear the crunch. They watch him eat. And at that point, they say, he's eating just like Jesus. That, that, that is not normal for a spirit. He's real. And that is when those 11 men became believers. Fact after fact, he could not deny it anymore. And their lives were transformed. You have to understand, all there were 16 people, 11 disciples. Judas is gone plus at least five women, they've been transformed. They hugged and worshiped Jesus, says in John, says that they clung to him, they fell at his feet, they clung and they says, you're real. They went from 16 to within, within about um, uh, 30 days to about 120. Those 120 on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 grew to 3,000. Then the 3,000 a week later grew to 5,000. And then two weeks later, they grew, they couldn't count them all. There were believers coming out the wazoo everywhere simply because Jesus was alive. 
these early Christians didn't go into all the world preaching an ethical code of morality, didn't preach a system of philosophy, love your neighbor, didn't talk about a utopian gospel of let's just live together in harmony. Christianity was built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact of it. If there's one thing you've got to be able to walk away from here today is going, I believe the Bible, I believe everything's in there because Jesus proves it's all true, every last bit of it. It couldn't be a conspiracy or a lie. It has to be real. Out of all those people, if this were a lie, I mean, we're talking 15,000 people at least at that point in the first two months of Christianity. Certainly, if Jesus had been faked a resurrection, somebody would have come out and said, it's all a fake, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody would have cracked. Somebody would have come out and said, and not one person did. As a matter of fact, every one of these people were putting their lives at risk and were persecuted and martyred for believing in a resurrected Jesus. Why would you do it if it's not true? I mean, honestly, I want to back a winner. If I'm going to invest in a company, I want to put money in a company that's on the way up, amen? I wouldn't risk my life for something if it's a fraud, if it's fake, if, it's, if he's dead. And yet thousands and thousands and through the history, millions of people have given their life away, gone. I have read of missionaries who've gone to uh, Saudi Arabia and Persia and, and, and Iraq, <clears throat> and they've been there, and they were 22 years old, and in six months, they were, they were murdered, trying to just give the gospel out to the Muslims. Say, why would you do that if he's not alive? Why, why would you risk that? Because he is alive. Folks, but I'm going to say this. Facts is not going to move you. I cannot convince you to believe. Belief needs more than facts. Look in verse 44. <clears throat> Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want faith, you got to start with the word of God. You're going to have to listen what Jesus said. Jesus said, these are my words. Remember them. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the... You better listen to the word of God. If you want to believe, I cannot tell you what to believe. You're trusting the words of a man. You better get it from God. And then you'll start believing. No wonder the world has erased the Bible from everywhere. They want to get rid of any reference to the Bible. Because that's where faith comes from. From hearing the scriptures. Believe secondly, <clears throat> believe secondly, uh, needs the Holy Spirit to open a person's understanding. This is so important. I try to convince people of the facts. I try to open people's eyes. And I show them fact after fact after fact. We could not have evolved. Evolution does, has never been reproduced. There is no way that this world is more than 6,000 years old. Everything points to young earth. Yeah, they got some crazy things. They say, well, that means or you can say all that. All you need is one to prove them wrong. And when you show them fact after fact, it doesn't make believers out of people. You know what makes believers out of people? The Holy Spirit of God bringing conviction in their heart. Amen. The reason why I show them the scripture, I show facts. I tell them what science has validated and proven about the Bible, all this stuff. But in the end, the Holy Spirit needs to open their eyes and show them 
He's right. You better get saved. That's the second thing. So when you hand out a gospel track, pray, Lord, please open their eyes. Please give me something to say that tells them to search your word and to hear from you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, if our gospel is hid, it is hid, them that are, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. If you are not saved, if you are blind to the gospel, if this means nothing to you, I got news for you. There is a devil. And he holds his hands over your eyes and he goes, don't listen to them. He's just a dummy. He's just a fool. He's just, a, uh, just, he's just um, uh, saying things that don't matter. And it says, uh, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine unto them. He's trying to keep you in darkness. And it's up to you to say, I'm not listening to you anymore, devil. I'm listening to the word of God. And the third thing that belief needs is a live and breathe and walk and talk in Jesus. You imagine if we were talking about Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and what he taught 2,000 years ago and the memorial of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but he's still dead. That doesn't work. My faith is a living faith. It's a faith in a living Savior. For my faith to be complete, I need a living, breathing, walking, talking Jesus who's alive. Amen. If, we're, if we don't have a living Savior, you know what Paul says? We are of men most miserable because we're living a lie. If this thing is not true, if, his, if he's still in the grave somewhere, then why are we here? Let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. I need a living, breathing, walking, talking Savior. Amen. I talked to him this morning. I hope you did too. That's what we need. Folks, you can talk about facts, but they need to know Jesus is alive. They need to know that the word of God speaks to them. They need to know that the Holy Spirit is working in their heart. As you tell them, I prayed for you. This is a divine appointment. As I'm giving you the gospel now, I prayed that God would open your eyes. And even though I may not be here, you may be at home, I'm going to pray until you finally say yes. That'll scare them, man. Because why fight against God? Look in verse 46. There's a, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going the great purpose of the cross. I, don't, I didn't change those verses. Look at verse 46, 24, 46. And thus, and, and Jesus said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It behooved Christ. It was right for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, the, in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. There's a purpose for the cross. It's just uh, verse 46, but I want you to see something. It is a fulfillment of the plan of God. The disciples, when they saw Jesus turn himself over to that mob in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the plan of God. When Jesus stood there as soldiers surrounded him and one after a one after another began to beat him and rip his beard off and place a crown of thorns on his head and parade him around like a, like a mocked, defeated king. When everything was going on, the disciples looked at it and they turned away. It was part of the plan of God. When they laid him out on that cross and he put his hands out on each side of that cross and they nailed him to that cross and then raised him to the air, dropping it to the ground. And he, on that cross, in, in anguish and in pain, 
Never said a word. It was the plan of God. What was going on? He was suffering and dying for our sin. I always tell people, I say, what is, your, what, what is the consequences of sin? I show them the wage of sin is death, and then I take them to the cross, and I says, that's the cost of sin. He paid in death the sin that you should pay. He had to do that so that I could be forgiven, so I could be pardoned, so that I don't have to die under the wrath of God. The Son of God bore the wrath of God so a sinner could be made a son. Isn't that breathtaking? So that's part of the plan. What was unexpected was to watch it all go through. They didn't think that that was part of the plan, no matter how much Jesus taught them. Jesus had to suffer and die, and then he says, and arise three days later. It all proved that there's nothing more to do, I'm sorry, to save sinful people, and it all was the purpose of the cross is to prove there's nothing more but just to believe it. Can you imagine somebody, as I've talked to, and I show them the gospel, and I say, you need to be born again. They go, I'm fine. I'm working out my own salvation. Well, the truth is, they're in competition with Jesus. He did it all, or what are you doing? There's nothing more to understand. You say, people, people don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the Bible. Tell them Jesus died under the wrath of God, was buried to prove he was dead, and rose again three days later to prove he defeated sin and hell. That's enough. And if you'll believe that, you're born again. Amen? It's not that complicated. Even a child can believe that. Amen? The great purpose of the cross is the simplicity of the cross. Everywhere Paul went, he preached the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus because that's what saves but there's some work for us to do. We'll finish up two more points here. Verse 47. He's talking about the plan in verse 46. Verse 47 says, ah, here's your job, Christian. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, begin at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I think this is the best part. But tear ye in the, in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But there's Christians, there's work for us to do now. We have something to do since after we got saved. Uh, this was unexpected as well because at this point, Jesus is saying, guys, all of the time that I have spent teaching you, spending time answering your questions was for a purpose. It's so that you would go into all the world and tell them what you heard me teach. I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. Your time on Sunday mornings is something that you're supposed to learn, enjoy, and then take somewhere else. You're not supposed to just come and stay the same. This is not a shopping mall. This is a place where Christians are convicted and concerned and, and burdened with truth and with with the reality of the resurrection and with the good news of the gospel and we take it out into the world and say, you got to be born again. So he starts off and he says, I can get there, preach this news. Surprise, Peter, I'm going to make a preacher out of you. I know you're a, a fisherman. I know you've enjoyed asking me questions the entire time and, and um, struggling with all the answers, but now I want you to preach. 
Matter of fact, did you notice what he says? Verse 47, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye, ye all, are witnesses of these things. Not just Peter, James, John, but all of us. We're supposed to declare publicly the wages of sin. We're supposed to tell people there is a judgment day coming, and Jesus is coming very soon. And if you're, if you're saved, you can tell people. If there's one thing that you have that I don't have, that's your testimony. What happened to you when you got saved? Why you got saved? What scripture got your heart? Share that. God gave you your, that moment when you got saved and says, now tell somebody else. It'll help somebody. Nobody needs to get saved the same way exactly I got saved. I got saved at the side of a kitchen table and in Cedar Park, Texas. Nobody needs to go there to get saved. You can get saved anywhere. But boy, here in my testimony might help somebody else go, I understand now. I, I understand how simple it is. Preach the gospel. By the way, preach repentance. There's a, there's, a, there's a general view of Christianity is preach the love of God. Is that a good thing? Yes. But it's not understood until you understand the wrath of God. And that the way to receive that gift of God's eternal life is through a broken, repentant heart that says, I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. No more fight left in me. In American justice, it's called nolo contesta. Nolo contesto? Something like that. No contest. I will not argue. I do not fight. I give up. Repentance for the remission of sins. Can you imagine if somebody's got cancer and they, they say, I've had cancer for three years. I've been going to treatment and it's in remission. Isn't it wonderful when somebody comes along and says, your cancer's gone. That is the remission. And when Jesus died on that cross, he remitted, removed, purged all of our sin. That can be preached. Somebody needs to know that. I bet your family doesn't know that, that their sins can be forgiven. Most of them are struggling. They don't even, they don't even know God cares for them. Tell them he does. Secondly, he says there, the repentance and remission of sins should be preached where? Everywhere. What you're learning here, and folks, uh, I'm going to a missions conference in two weeks. I'm actually in two missions conferences where I'll be part of other missionaries preaching. America doesn't have to send missionaries. Christians have to send missionaries. England used to send missionaries all over the world. Germany used to send missionaries, I say emphasis, used to send missionaries all over the world. America sent me here. Church in America sent me here. This church can send missionaries. There is enough work for everyone. Say, well, I, I don't think I could do it. I couldn't. Nobody can do it without the undoing power of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't even get saved on your own, man. Go somewhere with it. Oh, that somebody would just say, Lord, if you could use me, I'm available. That was my prayer. Who'd be willing to go to France or Bulgaria or Holland or Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Syria, Israel, India, China, Japan, Mongolia? These are places we don't think about. And yet God sent his son to die for every person in every corner of this planet. He says, will you care? And if you care, you might just go. But while you're deciding on whether you're going to go, you know what the gospel is good for? Living it. Don't just preach it. Don't just believe it. Live it. Prove to people that it changes lives. 
live different than the world. Don't talk the same as the world. Don't live like the world because they need to know Jesus is alive. They don't need to know that Beyonce and, and uh, uh, all of the, the Hollywood and everything is excitement. Jesus is the excitement of the Christian. Live it. These are our responsibilities. If you're not burdened for lost people, if you're not burdened about preaching, if you're not burdened about soul winning and evangelizing and holding and handing out tracts, then you're living in disobedience to the word of God and you're sinning, dear Christian. Our, year, our church, if I could be honest, I wrote this down and I'm, I, I was very sad because our church used to be on fire about soul winning. We had a time where there were 30 of us outside that door on a Saturday. We used to be burdened about the world going to hell. I haven't changed my burden. I've never stopped soul winning. So many of you have. Our world is getting darker and darker, and we're part of the blame, folks, because we're stubborn and we're proud and we're arrogant, thinking it's not our job. It is all our job. It is what Christians are supposed to do. You don't have to come up here and preach from a pulpit, but you do have to carry a gospel track. You do have to open your mouth and warn somebody, please trust Jesus. He's the only one that can save. He saved me. What does that take? Humiliation. What does it take? Putting everything aside and saying, that soul's worth me being embarrassed. There are responsibilities. And don't worry. The Holy Spirit will go with you. You'll fumble through your words, and the Holy Spirit. I, I heard a man preach some time, uh, time a long time ago, and um, when he preached, he got all of the points all messed up, and he was so flustered while he was preaching. He was so discouraged. He kept, uh, and uh, no, not that. I'm, I'm, I meant John, and 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 he went through all this stuff, and he said, "Oh, forget it. <laughs> Let's close in prayer." And as he bowed his head in tears, thinking, I messed up, I did so bad, a young man who had come in late in the service came forward and ran up and grabbed somebody near the front row of the church and followed him and began to weep and cry. All of a sudden, people looking up as he's getting ready to pray, and they all started to go, and they're all gasping. And this guy uh, hugging this other man, and they're crying together, and they came up to the front and began to pray. All of a sudden, the mom who... Had, was sitting separate, came over and sat down there, and all of a sudden his messed up message turned into a revival. What he had messed up on was on the prodigal son. He didn't tell the story right, and he got all messed up. And that, a young man had just come in who was the son of one of the deacons in the church and came in and heard that all messed up, and he still said, I need to get right with my dad. I need to come home. I want to get saved. And that son got saved. The mom and the dad got reconciled because they were arguing and fighting over the problems in the family, and the church had revival, and that preacher thought he had messed up so bad. Why don't you just say something? I do it every Sunday. <laughs> and I do my best because I want to be a blessing, but I want us to be active again. Those scriptures, as you just read, it says, you are witnesses. Go to Acts 1.8, and we're through. Well, we actually have to come back and do one more thing here. But Acts 1.8 Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And guess when you got the Holy Ghost? The moment you got saved, ladies and gentlemen. You got power. 
and ye shall be witnesses. That's a shall is a commandment. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem where you're at, and in Judea, that's in the county you're in, and in Samaria, that's in the nearby counties and countries, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's for us to do. It's not for some other mega church. It's for us. We always proudly say, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there is Jesus in the midst. Amen. Well, out of those two or three, I wonder which one's going to be faithful. All of them, I hope. One final thing. One final thing. Look in verse 50, chapter 24, verse 50. A final unexpected thing of that day. <laughs> Actually, it's a few days later, but just follow along. Verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued, filled with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was departed from them and carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem now. They went back into Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Jesus walks his disciples to about two miles out on the other side of the Mount of Olives to a little village called Bethany. There... He blessed them and he encouraged them, hugged them, and then all of a sudden he started going up. <laughs> we call it the ascension. And uh, they were not expecting that. I mean, I'm sure they expected, Jesus, you're going to stay around, aren't you? And Jesus said, bye-bye. <laughs> but what was neat was at this moment as Jesus left, they realized, okay, we can do this. And these men and women were so different that instead of being afraid of Jerusalem, they went back into Jerusalem. They went right into the temple and praised God. They went throughout the city. They began to, to witness and to, to testify Jesus is alive. And that led to the day of Pentecost and week after week. Folks, at that moment, the one final thing, Jesus leaving and not being there present, as unexpected as that was, it was okay because he's coming back. We're not on this in this alone. We have been endued with the same power that those Christians did in the first century. So why, do we, why should we be fearless? Why should we have such joy? Because Jesus is not dead anymore. He's very much alive. He defeated death. He broke sin's grip on every sinner so that we can be forgiven and free. Six unexpected things happened. Number one, they found an empty tomb. They didn't expect it to be rolled back and empty. They found a missing body, which is kind of funny. They discovered the body was missing. Let me put it that way. And then they discovered that Jesus was alive and well. This was all unexpected. And that's awesome. They also discovered a great purpose for the cross. The cross to them was disaster, was the end, and yet notice a great purpose going on. There was victory. What did Jesus cry out on the cross of victory? It is finished. Everybody heard him. And unexpectedly, we all have something to do. You know what most people want about Christianity? Just to come in and go out. And next week, come in and go out. Don't be that kind of Christian. As a matter of fact, that's not even a Christian because Christian means Christ-like we all have something to do now. Jesus left. That's unexpected, but he's coming back very soon. You know what's cool about all this? All of that is good news. 
All of that is good news if you believe it. It'll do you no good if you don't believe it. 42 years ago, I did. I've never looked back. Would you stand with me in bound prayer? Father in heaven, what you did, you did without anybody rooting you on, believing. When you sent your son, who did everything perfectly so that I, as a failure, don't have to, going to the cross in my place, even though I didn't ask him, and willingly dying for me, and, his, and your disciples even, when they didn't understand and they didn't expect and they didn't believe. When you do all of that and you do it without anybody understanding or believing, that shows your commitment to us. That shows what's really important and it shows that we need to turn our hearts around and say, Lord, I now want to be committed to you. I now choose to believe with all my heart that Jesus is alive and he's coming back and I don't want to live for the world anymore. My life belongs to you. I gave you my sins 42 years ago, but every day I give you my life again. Help me be faithful. Helps people in this room to repent and be faithful once again in soul winning and being burned about the lost and in, 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 in growing in, in, our, in our efforts for Jesus Christ. We've only got, I don't know, how many more days, weeks, months, years before it's all over. It could be today. I pray that we actually live like it's today. If there's anybody in this room who's not saved, God, all they got to do is cry out to you and say, I believe. I don't understand, but I believe with all my heart. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost, but I believe that Jesus died for somebody like me. I ask you to save me. Bible says, if you'll call upon him, whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That's what you can do today, Lord, and I pray somebody would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's grab our hymnal.